Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Posnanski, and as we uh, keep stepping forward to, uh, to the Olympics in Rio, uh, very exciting and uh, thrilled today to be joined by uh, one of the best in the business, Al Troutwig, who uh, uh, does many, many things, but uh, in Rio will be uh, broadcasting uh, for NBC, uh, as usual, doing gymnastics, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Al, first of all, thank you for taking the time. My pleasure, Joe. You know, one of the cool things I've, I've had on in the last, uh, last few days, I've had on, uh, Tom Hammond and Dan Hicks. And, uh, the first thing I was asking them was how they got these Olympic assignments. And, and Tom was talking about how one day he just gets a call from Dick Ebersol saying, Hey, have you ever done track and field? Do you like track and field? Uh, Dan Hicks said it was pretty similar. So I'm, I'm obviously very curious. How, how exactly did gymnastics start for you? Well, in, uh, let's see, 96 in Atlanta, I was sort of like the uh, utility man. Uh, I, I worked for NBC doing what was called a SWAT unit then. Uh, it was uh, a team that went all over the place doing things like uh, kayaking and uh, road cycling and whatever. And, uh, I, you know, I guess internally NBC just decided to, to go in a new direction after Atlanta. And... Um, during those Olympics, I was—I uh, spent a little time talking to David Michaels, and he and I shared some Tour de France experiences together. And I don't know, there's something about me that led them to ask me if I would be interested, and, and I was, of course. Yeah, I, I just think it's—it's it's really cool. I think you know when I look at your background and how you got into this into this business, I mean, it, it reminds me very much of of myself or my friends. I mean, you you know you were you were obviously very, very into sports. Um, but you've had this really, uh, you know, this wide spanning career where you, you really have done, I mean, you know, I, I said this Tom Hammond, but I think it's even more true of you. You've done everything as a broadcaster, haven't you? I feel like I have. <laughs> I mean, when you do fencing, yeah, you've, you've, you've done it and team handball, you've done it all. <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, do you like that? Do you enjoy, you know, the challenge of, of being all these different announcers and doing all these different kinds of sports? Well, I do because they all present, you know, a, a very unique challenge. I mean, when I was first approached by CBS to do cross-country skiing, I didn't know anything about cross-country skiing, but I did know that I loved to write. And at that time, cross-country skiing was a heavily edited music uh, written challenge, and I loved that. Television's gone in a totally different direction now, but you know it's not like anyone ever asked me, "Hey, do you want to have a career of doing esoteric sports?" It's just the way it, it planned. It just the way it panned out. I think one of the reasons is that when I first started on ABC's Wide World of Sports, that's what I did. You know, I did something new every week. It was horse jumping. It was you know, you name it. And I, I guess I sort of became known for that. And and during that time, I did the Ironman triathlon. And that's something that I've done for a really long time. And I have a feeling that that's where the foundation was laid, that um, that I, I could do the, the sort of unknown sport, if you want to call it that. Well, and obviously, you know, the, the, the cool part of your career is you've done all of these esoteric sports, but you've also done a tremendous amount and, and tremendous work in, in mainstream sports as well. And, and, and I know that was your interest level when you were, when you were a kid, like, like mine. Um, but the, the, you, you talk about wide world of sports. Uh, and NBC used to have Sports World. That that used to be a, a prominent thing in television, where you would you would do, 
you know, a different sport every week. And one week it'd be a heavyweight fight and the next week it would be the Globetrotters and, and so on and so forth. And that's kind of gone. I mean, do you, do you feel lucky? I mean, I, I feel lucky to have grown up in an era where that was, that was a part of television. Do you feel lucky to have grown up in a, in a, in this business doing all of these different things? Yeah, Joe, there's no question. I mean, I have a picture of me in a room with the ABC announcers when I first signed with them. And in the room was Jack Whitaker, uh, Keith Jackson, Howard Cosell, Jim McKay, uh, Chris Schenkel. I mean, it's, it's an, it's a Hall of Fame photograph. And, um, you know, like when we did a ski race, we might be on for 12 minutes in the afternoon. We were there for a week. <laughs> you know, so you really got immersed in the, in the culture. And I remember the very first event that I did. It okay. was a ski race in Italy. And I walked into a restaurant in Val Gardena. I didn't know anybody. It was my first ABC event. And I sat down at the dinner table, and all they did was talk about Jim McKay. And it wasn't about his on cameras or the race that he called. It was about his writing. And it scared me in one way because I, I had never written anything, really. I didn't take a writing class in college. And I made a promise to myself that I was going to try and get people to talk about me one day the way they talked about him. And so I, I embarked upon the process of teaching myself to write. And then, you know, when you write, all you do is rewrite. Sure. And then you rewrite it until you get it right. And, you know, I, I think I developed something uh, that, that I was very proud of. And I did so much of it that now when I'm on the air, uh, I have words in my head that I wouldn't normally have in my head because of all that writing. I, I think I, that's so cool. And not and certainly not to interrupt because I, I just want to just want to emphasize that point. I mean, obviously, as a writer, I'm constantly watching things uh, through that prism. And, and there are there are, you know, I, I have respect for anybody who does who does broadcasting at a high level because it's a very, very hard job. But one of the cool things I think about you is you bring that storytelling to your work. And I and, and you I'd not know that about you as 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 a writer and how hard you worked at it. But but you have that sensibility. So Jim McKay certainly had Jim McKay was a writer um, first. You 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 I, I don't know how conscious, but it sounds like you are very conscious of that storytelling that you bring when you when you broadcast uh, any kind of event. Well, I mean, I, listen, I, I learned from some of the best, and I don't know how many of them are there anymore because writing is just something that not a lot of current young broadcasters do. Um, and I, I remember distinctly, we, we were assembled for the 84, uh, the 88 Calgary Winter Olympics, and we, we were in a room, and they played, I don't know, five or six of the features for different athletes. Mm-hmm. And they all started the same way. They all started with, in a little village in Ulm, Switzerland. And Rune Arledge stood up in the room and said, what's the mistake here? Everybody's story can't begin the same way. They can't all have the same arc. You've got to, you've got to find out whether there really is a story and then generate off of that. Later on um, at CBS, I was doing the, the Winter Olympics, and we had a very energetic producer and he went out and did a, a lot of different features. And one of the features he did was of this uh, Soviet cross-country skier who dreamed that she wanted to be a ballerina. And so they went to uh, the Bolshoi in Moscow and had pictures of her walking around backstage. And 
we went to play the feature for the big boss at CBS before the Olympics, and at the moment it ended, he said, yeah, and I wanted to be a freaking astronaut. You know, the point being, not everybody has a good story to tell. Right. And it, it takes time to, to, to learn that, and it, it's got to happen time and time and, and time again. Um, and I, I learned from those guys, and I feel really lucky that I did. Well, I, and, and I mean, honestly, that, that for me, I think that comes through. The, the other thing that I see that I, that I find is a mistake, certainly with young writers, uh, but I've been certainly listening to broadcasting as well, is there, are, there is a, a knack and a skill, and, and I think you develop it more and more over time to know what a good story is. I mean, a lot of times, you know, the story is told with great, uh, you know, the words are there and the energy is there and the excitement is there, but the story is cliche. It does, you've heard it before. It doesn't, it doesn't ring true the way that the person who is telling it or writing it wants it to. Um, but I think that, I think experience is a huge part. And, and your point is, is, is right on in, in, in my view, because I think that's, you see something like that and you think, Hey, this is really good. And then somebody tells you like, like a rune Arledge going, Hey, this is, you, you can't, you know, putting these things back to back to back, you realize they're all the same. They all sound the same. Yeah. I mean, and some stories are complicated and they're worth being complicated. Yes. And some stories are very, very simple. After the Atlanta Olympics, I did the uh, Paralympics for CBS. And of course it was done in a totally different way. In fact, there was one last event to be played, and everybody was already packing up the stuff. The show for the last night was done. And everybody was wrapping up the edit machines, putting tapes away. And I was sitting there in a back room, and it was the men's breaststroke. And they're panning the camera down the lanes, and there's this guy from Great Britain, and there's this guy, and there's this guy, and there's this guy from China who has no arms. Huh. And I screamed out to the executive producer, Rick Gentile, I said, dude, You've got to come see this. This is not fair. The guy's in the breaststroke. He has no arms. He wins it. Wow. And to his credit, we tore everything down and ran out there and interviewed him and it, because it was so simple. Yeah. You didn't need to know anything. He's in the breaststroke and he has no arms. Come on. And he wins. And he wins. That is amazing. Um, so that, that's one of my favorites of all time. Okay. So you have done... You know, we, 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 we've gone over, you know, just a few of the, of the, of the, you know, sort of unusual things that you've done, some of the sort of sports that come up every four years, whatever. Obviously, you've also done the Yankees and the Knicks and the Rangers and, and been very heavily involved in major sports. How different is it? How much different do you feel like you have to be when you're doing gymnastics? Is that, do you enter a different zone as a, as a broadcaster or do you bring the same sensibilities that you bring to those things? Well, I've always loved the human, you know, element of it. So, you know, to me, my favorite part of the Olympics is that I, I can literally say, you know, the next four seconds could change this person's life. It's true. That's an unbelievable statement. So I always look in those angles. But with something like the Olympics and gymnastics, a normal show that we would do, let's say there's a real hardcore audience of maybe a million gymnastics fans. Mm -hmm. They are really hardcore. But at an Olympics, when we may have 30 or 35 million watchers, they don't know nearly anything that those million people do. So I care a little bit more about that big audience. And I'm working with two gold medalists, so I have the luxury of that. But what I try to do is really become Mr. Curious. I try to become the person at home. You know, was that good? Did that count? 
what did that score mean? Uh, I, I don't spend any time at all uh, learning what an aminar is. When I do baseball, I have to know what a slider is. Yes. And I have to know the difference between that and a curveball. I have to know all the elements of the sport. In, in gymnastics, I, I take a totally different approach. That's, that's fascinating. So if when you're doing a baseball game, and I feel the same way when I'm writing a baseball game, I feel like I'm writing for baseball fans. They don't have to be huge. I mean, I realize that there is a very, very wide gap of knowledge between the, 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 the person who has you know, listened to every single game all year and the person who just checks in every now and again. But I get the sense that they do understand the basics. They do know what a slider is. They do understand what a relief pitcher does, that sort of thing. Um, but the Olympics is very, very different because you do have a lot of people checking in to the gymnastics who like it, who enjoy it, who are watching it. They don't know any of the rules. I mean, they don't no. even know what they're called, right? I mean, listen, start with the scoring. Yeah. Gymnastics is a lot like figure skating, is that when there was an uproar about the scores not being right, they changed it so the average person couldn't tell. Mm -hmm. And that got rid of the perfect 10 which brings us to a point where there are times when scores go up and Tim Daggett, who has seen every evolution of the sport, looks at me and goes, I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just the fact of the matter. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a totally new audience. And even, even people who, who think that they know, they're not quite sure because the sport doesn't let them be sure. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that like, there are things that, you know, and I've, I, I love gymnastics. I love watching it. I don't know anything about it beyond what the average person does. But I love writing about it. I love watching it. But there are things that you pick up as as even sort of a casual watcher of the sport. Oh, they took a little hop. So that's, I realized that, you know, at the end, their dismount, they took a little bit of a hop. Or there was a little bit of a bobble. But other than that, I don't know anything. So Right, but I say this on the air all the time. When it's great, you know it. Yeah. You just do. I mean, when, when Simone Biles does what she's going to do, you, you have to look at that and go, are you kidding? <laughs> uh, seriously. I mean, her, her floor routine is insane. And it's going to be great, and people are going to love it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to want to talk to you a little bit about her and some of the things that you're looking forward to at, at these games. Uh, but you mentioned something that I actually have written down here to ask you about, uh, and I didn't know how you would respond to it. I think... The, the perfect 10 being gone from gymnastics has hurt it from a very, very casual fan standpoint. Well, they take a, they've taken out the home run. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's like back in the old days when there was no outfield fence. You know, what, what was what, what, what was that? <laughs> and, and now the thing is, is that the four apparatus don't score the same way. So that's why you know, explain that. It, I can't explain it. <laughs> but... You know, a 15 on one is going to wind up being a 14 on the other because they judge it harsher and, you know, whatever. Yeah. We'll try to make sense of it. <laughs> well, we, we've been trying to make sense of it for, I think it's eight years now. But um, that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. It is It is interesting. I Because that was the that to me was, obviously, when, when you talk about Nadia in 76, that is what made it. It was the 10. And the fact that they didn't even have a, you know, a scoreboard that can handle the 10. Right. That that was the coolest thing, and that that doesn't take anything away from from you know people, and, and and I'm sure you can talk to this, speak to this. What they're doing now, it's it's incomparable to what they were doing in '76. I mean, hey, listen, 
Nastia Lukin was the gold medalist, right, yeah. two Olympics ago? Mm-hmm. She says time and again that Simone Biles is the greatest of all time, and she never even thought of doing some of the things that Simone Biles does. Wow, and that's two, two, only two Olympics ago. Yes, right. And so, you know, th- that's, that's where they are. They're, the stuff is just so complicated. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah, I mean, you know, in vault, for example, there's so much going on in the air. They, I, I can't really appreciate the difficulty live. But when you slow it down and get another look at it, that's when that's when you really have to go. That's amazing. It's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. You know, it, it's very interesting. I, one of the things I was talking with about with uh, Dan Hicks. Dan was talking about how how much he has come to embrace and love swimming. And he's saying that one of the things he loves about it, and one of the reasons it really suits him, is that it's a race, so you know who wins. And and he feels like from himself, and this is you know something that I think he appreciates with how you do it. For himself, the the inconsistency of scoring, the the sort of uh, you know fog that that surrounds it makes it more difficult as an announcer. Do do you find that to be true? Oh yeah, I mean it's very uh, uh, maybe once or twice, if that. Have I seen someone do a dismount and was able to say, "That's it, they've won it." Wow! I can't, I can't do it. I have to really wait for Tim Daggett to do it because he's got he's got the chops and he's got the experience to say it and go on the line and do it. I don't. But in a situation where the team is standing there waiting for the last score to pop up, I can react on a situation like that because the moment the score comes up, there's a rank next to it, and that's the moment that they won. So we've had that. So, so interesting. All right. Tell me a little bit about preparation for this thing. You know, and and it does occur to me for all of the things that you've done in in this business. And like I say, it's across sports, tennis. I didn't even mention tennis where where you're great. Uh, Across all of these sports you've done, by far the biggest audience you'll ever have is at the Olympic gymnastics because it's one of the biggest audiences in in all of sports. Um, So preparing for that, preparing for that moment uh, how much do you do, and, and, and how difficult is it to, to prepare for something that that big? Um, I could easily allow myself to be overwhelmed. Yeah. I, I try not to allow that to happen. And so what I tell the kids in my class when I teach them, I say the only way that you can't be nervous if you did everything that you could to prepare. If you did, literally, then you've got nothing to be nervous about. So... I mean, I work every day. You know, getting information on gymnastics is not the easiest thing in the world. Right. And it is, to me, it's a little bit like the Tour de France in that, you know what, I don't want to hear about the Giro d'Italia. I don't want to hear about Paris-Roubaix. It's the Tour de France, and it's the only thing that matters, and it's totally different. And it's a lot like that in, in, in gymnastics. We've done world championships. They just never have the gravitas. They just, it's just... The, it's, the Olympics is a standalone thing for these kids in the gym every day. It's all they see is the Olympic rings. I mean, I could write a book on the things that these kids have given up in their life for for these two weeks. Yeah. How many dances and how many dates and how many parties and how many times they didn't go out and, and have a drink or have a cheeseburger. I mean, it's countless. And so I, I can't find the information as easily as I can with some of the other sports. But now I, there's Twitter and, and all those things, and, and uh, I get a little bit of a different insight into them. But I really try to keep it it simple, and I really try to 
make it so that in my head, in any given moment, in 30 seconds, I can tell you what's going on in the, in the world of Allie Raisman as she stands there. I can tell you where she's from, what she gave up, what she did, and I can, you know, tell you in 30 seconds to get you sort of ready for that. So it takes time for me to get it in my head to that point because I can't, I don't want to read it. Right. So that's, I, I think that that's, you know, there, there's a point there too. And that is not to say that you can ever be overprepared. I mean, I guess, I guess. Oh, you could be. Yeah, you, you, I think you can overprepare to the point where you throw stuff in there that has no bearing. Okay. So you, and you're just taking up time with stuff that isn't, isn't. Right. For example, I, I've been going over in my head. I've just had a lot of downtime. So I was at the beach <laughs> and I've been going over in my head, you know, how are we going to come on the air that first day? And, you know, there's great anticipation, obviously. Um, we have a young woman who could win five gold medals. I could start with that. Yes. But I'll never forget in 1988 when Jim McKay brought us on the air for the Olympics, his first words were, well, here we are again. And huh. I thought, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. America was comfortable with him as the host of the Olympic Games at that point, And he was comfortable being the host. And so it was almost like he was visiting in their living room again. And that was the beauty of, of him. And so maybe we'll come on the air and say, well, here we are again. <laughs> That's really cool. I, it's really just keeping that thought. The other thing that, that you said in there that, that I think is unique in many ways to gymnastics, the coolest thing about the Olympics from a, from a writing standpoint, broadcasting standpoint, viewing standpoint, is how important it is, how important it is to the athletes, how important it is to us as, as fans. Uh, it's, it's, it's huge. They've given their lives up for this moment. But in gymnastics, there's one step further. They're younger, for the most part. Yep. And it's probably their only one. I mean, even yep. for, even for the very best. So it's so important for a swimmer. But they might be back in four years, and for a gymnast, they, they might not. And and so so that tension is probably that. It seems to me that's what you build off of. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time was Titanic. I, if it's on, I can't turn the channel. I have to watch it. And. The funny thing about the movie is, and I'm sure everybody jokes about it, we know how it ends and we still watch. Right. But my favorite moment in that movie is when Leonardo DiCaprio is hanging on the stern and the boat's going under. Yeah. And he says, this is it. And in gymnastics, we get to that moment, and I love it. Oh, it's so cool. All right, let's talk specifically a little bit about this Real Games. You've already mentioned who is going to be uh, undoubtedly the star of the games, but... uh, well, let's talk a little bit about her because uh, Simone Biles has a chance to do things that uh, really have never been done before, right? Well, yeah, and she's been doing stuff like that for four years. Yeah. You know, she, she's taken the hardest road. I mean, I just remember right after London in her first event, how overwhelming. I mean, my goodness, four years, I got to wait. Yeah. And, and she's done it. And she's been large, largely injury-free. And... We've taken video. The, the greatest male gymnast of the world is Kohei Uchimura. And she does a section of floor exercise that if you overlap it onto his, it's exactly the same. Wow. The same, the same height, the same speed, except in the instance that we found, he doesn't stick it, and she does. Huh. That's how good she is. It's incredible. She, Tim Daggett tells me that she could fall three times and still win the gold medal. <laughs> Now, That's crazy. Now, how is that possible? Just because what she's doing is so much harder than everybody else? 
Yeah, you know, in, in gymnastics, there's a start value, right? It's the highest score you can possibly get, and you get that based upon the number of skills that you do. And her start values are just so much higher than everybody else's. She can absorb a big mistake. It's amazing. She has a chance to win. You mentioned this five uh, gold medals, uh, and not only a chance. I mean, would you say she's favored to win five gold medals? Yes. Yeah. So the five are team competition, individual gold, and then what are the three uh, apparatuses that she's that she's uh, going to? Uh, you know, everything but the un- everything but the uneven bars. Wow. So floor balance beam. And vault, and right, and 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 we right out of the box, right out of the shoot, is the qualification round. If you want to do anything great in the Olympics, you have to be great that day. Hmm. That if that one day sets everything up for the rest of the Olympics. So that's the kind of you know Leo DiCaprio moment you get. Now, why you know? is that? Why is that day so important? Well, because that's where you qualify for the all around. Your top two, if you have that many, and that's where you qualify for the event finals. It's incredible, incredible. But off that, off that one day. So, so it, she has to it'll essentially be the, it'll, it'll be the biggest meet of their lives. Like for uh, here's the thing, Allie Raisman looked like she tied for a bronze medal in the all around in London, and then all of a sudden we realized that no, 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 there's a tiebreaker, and so essentially by one of those little tiny hops that we talk about all the time, she missed out on an Olympic all around medal. Huh. So she obviously wants to redeem that moment. To get to that point, she has to be top two in the all-around on that qualification day. If she doesn't, she doesn't get the second chance. Unbelievable. Yeah. What pressure. What pressure yeah. they're under. Yeah. Now, is that is – that, because, like I say, Simone is going to just – she will she will and, and deservedly so be, be the star of all stars. But, I mean, is another story that you're really excited about is – Seeing Allie try to Allie Raceman try to try to get that medal that that she didn't get four years ago. Oh yeah, I mean, listen, there's only five athletes on the team, so we're going to play up each of the five stories. I mean, Gabby Douglas making it back, and you know, certainly didn't look like a gold medalist in the trials or the nationals, but I think Marta Caroli in her last Olympics believes that in the course of two weeks she can get her to snap to it, and it's going to be really. Interesting, as she says goodbye to the Olympics after having put this indelible mark on USA Gymnastics, yes. whether she can pull that off or not. That's really, really fun. Who are, who yeah, are and when, 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 listen, Gabby Douglas has fallen off the beam the last two times she's gone. When she gets ready to mount the beam in Rio, wow. You know, the beam is bad enough. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's the other thing about broadcasting uh, these sports. They're insane. I mean, they're insane. Well, you know hard. what? You know, I mentioned the, the, the million really diehard gymnast fans, right? Every time I mention that the beam is four inches wide, they go crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm insulting them. We know that. Blah, blah. But it, listen, the next time you get out of your car and you're in a parking spot, look down, stand on the line, and then imagine... Flipping in the air so that your head is near the line, and then you land on your feet. I mean, come on! It's nuts! It's nuts! It is. When I walk by the beam, every single time, it's like when I walk into Yankee Stadium. I don't care how many times you do it. It's just there's a moment where it it takes your breath away. It's so it's so gorgeous. It's it's when you walk past the beam, and you're watching them warm up or whatever. 
you, you, you can't believe what they're doing. It's nuts. It's nuts. That's so. That's so funny. I mean, that's. I mean, I think every writer and broadcaster has had that moment where where you are speaking to a larger audience, and then the the top end of that audience uh, feels like they're being insulted somehow because. Well, yeah, I'm going to go back to that class that I was teaching. So one day I asked. Who wants to be a broadcaster? And, and this one guy raised his hand, and he was—he was a—he had a lot of confidence. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and I said, "What sport do you want to do?" He said, uh, "I'm a baseball freak. I want to do baseball." I said, "Really? How many inches are on a baseball? Uh, who wrote the Star Spangled Banner, and what year? Uh, you know, where does the clay come from that they rub the balls up with?" Uh, I said, "You're not ready." So clearly, there's more that you can learn. So even people who think they know everything, there's always more they can learn. Oh, sure, sure. Well, that's, I mean, that's, to me, you know, that's got to be the fun of it for you. That's the fun of it for me. I mean, it doesn't matter how long we're in this thing. We're, we're constantly learning new stuff. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's so if much If you fun. weren't, it wouldn't be any fun. Right, that's right. If you knew everything, you know? it'd be like, Laura, well, what's the point of this anymore? You know? What about the men? What are, what are some of the things that are exciting about uh, for men's gymnastics? Well... They have one of the most charismatic gymnasts that I've ever seen who's the leader of the pack. Southern California guy, good-looking. He's just good enough to be in the mix. And every once in a while, he makes this odd mistake. You can't tell where it came from. His name is Sam McCulloch. And, you know, he could easily have been an actor. I mean, he's just, he's, he's got it. And he's the leader of the team. He's their energy. And he's very camera-friendly. Then there's a, a kid who grew up in the Bronx who, unfortunately, right after he qualified for the team, he tore his ACL. So he's out. But the replacement is a kid who was born in Cuba, who whose family came to the United States looking for the new life. And here he is. And his name is Danel Leva. And he and his father compete with tremendous passion. And instantly they make you care because of how much they do. And then, you know, they, they've got to deal with the problem of, their competition is a lot stiffer. Yeah. You know, Russia's good. Japan is good. So they may be in a battle for a, a bronze with the hopes of avoiding the worst place finish to come in fourth. So there's, there's some good stuff there. That's good. The women on the women's side, the U S is prohibitive favorites. Yes. Well, yes. I mean, I can only go by what Tim and Nasia tell me, you know, they're the ones who have seen every major competition, um, that could allow you to gauge that that's the case. And the U.S.'s prohibitive favorites. You know, one thing, remember when, when the USA won in 96, they were called Magnificent Seven, mm-hmm. right? Well, you have to be a pretty deep country to field seven good gymnasts. So what they did after that was they changed the rules. They made it six. Yeah. And the rest of the world still couldn't keep up. So now they've made it five. And the rest of the world still can't almost keep up with that. You know, you have a com- country like Romania, right? They used to be the kings of the, or the queens of the sport. Right. They didn't even qualify. Hmm. So that's how hard it is for some of these nations to, to keep up at a high level, yeah. like the United States. Do you, th- do you think, I mean, is it because that it feels to me like at the Olympics we have, we, we just, we just are overwhelmed with great stories. The, these, Every athlete, it feels like, is a great story. I don't know if that's because it's the Olympics and it's their one sort of big moment, but 
But, you know, you, you mentioned already some really, really fascinating stories coming in. Do you think that it's the Olympics that, that drives, because the Olympics are so important, is that what drives it? Or are these athletes, because of what they have to do to get here, their, their stories just are more compelling in some ways? Oh, boy, that's complicated. I mean, is it any more compelling than a, than a kid who watches the Little League World Series when he's three and then actually gets a chance to live it? Yeah, you know? that's true. Um, but we get to know that kid. The, the, the thing is that by the time the kid gets the World Series, you know, we've seen him during the season. You know, it, I, maybe for me, I don't know. I'm not really saying their stories are better. It just feels like because they sort of just appear on the scene like this. It's, well, it's also because we're working harder to tell them better. Yeah. You know, I mean, you get a guy in the World Series, he may tell a story or two, uh, but when it comes to the players on, on the teams, he's only going to tell you the ones that really stand out, right? In our case, we're trying to make everybody you see compelling. Yeah. And and I don't know, it, you know, since since I was doing my first Olympics, you know, the, the whole storytelling thing was rammed into my head. But no one really ever explained how to tell it. That that you have to find out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you just have to figure that one out. Well, this has been terrific. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I love talking about what I do, especially with someone who who is as good as you are. Well, thank you. <laughs>